Welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I'm so happy to be back this week. I have a fantastic interview for you guys today with Alicia Dadner. She is a hilarious comedian in the wellness space. What? It's so rare to have those two things together. And um, she's actually currently in Bali. So we had a really fun conversation. I feel like context is everything. Um, We had a really, really awesome conversation. And um, we got to hear kind of her process of writing her shows, going from like um, a nightclub comedian to um, kind of a more stage solo performance um, type of comedian. And um, she actually has a special out uh, right now on her website called How to Dress for the Apocalypse. And we talk about it in the episode, but it will only be available on her website for a little while longer. So I highly recommend um, checking that out to get some grounded wellness comedy in your life. (laughs) It's so rare. I just, I feel like I've been watching um, a lot of SNL recently and just some of it, I just feel like is, um, really unhealthy, really misogynist and, um, not reflecting back to me, like how I view the world. So it was really, really, really cool to see her work. Um, and yeah, for my, for my, for today's check-in for me, I'm just, I'm riding the wave guys. You know, I'm coming off that election high and going into the COVID low and, um, holidays are upon us. And I just, I went into an, an anxiety panic spiral last week and I couldn't see, I couldn't see the end of it. I didn't use any of the tools that I have at my disposal. And I just let the anxiety get the best of me, which I think is like, I'm glad I did it because there's obviously some golden nuggets from it um, that I realized I still need to process. So that was cool. Um, but yeah, not proud of it. And also glad that it happened. (laughs) So, um, if you're in an anxiety tailspin, um, due to COVID or anything else that's going on in your life, just know that I feel you and I've been there and I will probably be there again as we all will. Um, and good luck to you. (laughs) I wish I had more than that, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll make it through. We always do. And, um, yeah. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, hello, Alicia Datner, and welcome to Lit AF Podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's so awesome. So Alicia is in Bali right now, which is gorgeous. We're getting head nods. <laughs> What else can I say? It's beautiful. Uh, a lot of people think that Bali is the beach and it, it there is a beach, but I'm actually in the jungle. So if you're dreaming about me with like, you know, a drink in my hand um, and a palm tree uh, on, uh, on a white sand beach overlooking a blue ocean, it's not that. <laughs> She just showed me a field of green grass. So different color, totally different color, not blue. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Wow. It's beautiful, and beautiful. you just turned the AC off, which is hilarious because here in San Francisco, it's like we're getting a cold snap and like the heat is on in my house, like constantly. <laughs> the seasons are That's changing. why you're wearing the sweater and the shirt and you're like bundled up. Yeah. I got like I slippers it. on. It is cold. <laughs> Dog is keeping you warm. You're ready to just cut her open. If you, you know, get to just crawl inside of her, who knows? I don't know. It sounds very cold out there. It's so cold. Sorry. You don't know what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> oh my God. I'll I forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if everyone else will, but at least you do. <laughs> I understand. You got it. You totally get it. Uh, well, as you can tell, Alicia is a comedian. She recently came out um, with a special um, How to Dress for the Apocalypse, which I cannot wait to talk about. And um, today we're going to talk about comedy and wellness, which I think is a topic right up your alley. I'm really excited about it. Love it. Yeah. Um, so I'm so curious, just want kind of some background on you. How did you get started in comedy and storytelling? 
So when I was a kid, um, my family was pretty jokey and playful, like a very high value in my family, right under education and status was um, humor. So my grandparents told lots of jokes. My parents told lots of jokes. There was, you know, there was always a competition of like who you could make laugh and, and, um, you know, kind of just like a constant, like there was a bit of a pun factory in my home. Love that. (laughs) Yeah. So, so there was that, there were a lot of street jokes. Um, and also just kind of like playfulness, which is really a great, environment to grow up in, especially alongside the like challenges and dysfunction. So, um, so I started watching stand up, and, um, I just had like these specials recorded on TV and I was just watching like comic relief and, um, and then, you know, there was like a comedy channel that was just like playing clips constantly nonstop. Like, and I just was watching this and I just felt this like deep, deep urge to, to be funny, to write jokes. And it was really just, it just pulled, called to me. So, um, so I, I started writing jokes when I was like 11. I had a joke notebook. Um, you started so early. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I loved comedy. I just wanted to do it. I wanted to, everything about comedy called to me. And so I started writing jokes, but I was really shy at the same time. And, you know, I kind of like in my spiritual mind, I sort of like go back to that child self and imagine like the, the me today, like going back to the, the little kid and like mentoring her and being like, Oh my God, that's such a great joke. You know, (laughs) let's, let's get out there and, you know, find her an open mic and like make sure her set is really tight. And, you know, just like give that 11 year old version of me, like a, a place to start doing comedy. Um, but that didn't happen. So I didn't, I (laughs) didn't get on stage until, um, many, many years later when I I just turned 19. So, um, yeah, I was kind of old at that point starting to, you know, wrinkles and sagging and, you know, just all my jokes were just really tired and just like, you know, what's crazy about getting older, you know? So it was, um, <laughs> there were kids who had started at like 15, 16, I remember. And I felt like, you know, I was like 23 and I was like, Oh, they're coming up, coming up on my heels. So got in there. That's the point. I got in there. I got in. <laughs> it's never too late. You know, this woman, you know, Lynn Ruth Miller. Have you mm-hmm. seen her? Oh my God. She was in her, I mean, I, she's still doing her thing. She was in her 70s or 80s when I met her. She's been doing stand-up. She gets out there. She was like at every open mic at every at 1 a.m. in the morning, like just killing it. Um wow. 70. Yeah, so it's never too late. I love that. She's so amazing. She just went to Edinburgh. <laughs> she's great. Wow. For the comedy festival? Yeah. yeah. Oh no, God. just for <laughs> just for fun. Just for a holiday. I'm just mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, check it out. <laughs> yeah. Cows. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what is in there? I don't even know. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Wow. That's so I love that you're doing like inner child or like you're there for your inner inner child at 11 <laughs> now in later life being like, you got I'm that super conscious this. of her. Yeah, totally. Aww, totally. That's so sweet. So you started doing it when you're 19 and you've just been mm-hmm. doing it ever since. Yeah. So I, um, there was an open mic at my college when I, when I got there and this guy, Eugene Merman was, was, uh, running the open mic and he was, I was like, he's, hilarious he's gonna be he's just gonna be an amazing comic like he was very clearly on track and he was majoring in stand-up um that's at my college an option that's a thing at Hampshire College it is love that oh Hampshire amazing (laughs) oh Hampshire so his senior thesis was a like full-length stand-up show and it was incredible I sat in the front row I was like blown away he's you know um he ended up like he does like a bunch of animation shows he's like does voiceover for 
um, characters on TV all over the place. And he's, he's super funny, um, brilliant, like very uh, heady sort of intellectual. Anyway, that was my first open mic. It was terrifying and thrilling. I was, um, you know, more alive, I think, than I had ever been. I was, mm. I was like sweating and I was like hot and just like buzzing and everything. I, I don't think I was that great, but I felt the electricity of being on stage. And I felt the, I felt the, the itness, like the zing, mm. you know, mm. I mean, it was like, oh yeah, this is, this is the thing. Wow. This is the drug. This so. is the drug. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Wow. This is my drug. I found it. Uh, I found my high. <laughs> wow. Amazing. And you didn't. So yeah, I just, and I didn't. You didn't care that you weren't good at it or that it maybe wasn't, um, the audience <laughs> wasn't captivated. Like you just kept going with it. I love that. I mean, I totally had, I mean, people were laughing and, um, for sure. Like it was, you know, I just, I don't think like my, it was amazing, but, but everyone had a good time. Um, I got confused and heckled an audience member for laughing. Um, <laughs> you know, I like reversed it. <laughs> like, oh, when you're not laughing. I was trying out some techniques and I wasn't really sure how they worked. Um, and I, but I had some good bits. I had a few good bits. And um, what did you, Eugene said something hilarious. Like, um, you know, some people thought you had really good stage presence. <laughs> like some people, some. not me. <laughs> <laughs> some, some people thought that. I love that. I mean, as an art form, it is, so raw. It is so terrifying. I find <laughs> I just stopped. I couldn't do it anymore. I was just like, this is, this is not for me. It's too much. The laughs are never. Yeah. Enough. I mean, for me, like I had to, I had basically, so like I did it pretty solidly for like a year. Wow. And then, um, I went back to college. I finished college and then I, came back out to San Francisco and I did stand up on and off for like, I mean, more on than off, but depending for like about 10 years. And then I kind of just couldn't, um, I couldn't keep going with the level of success that I was having at it. And I had a, you know, a bit of a reckoning and I kind of, I didn't quit, but I dropped out for a while, um, of the race. Um, I did, uh, I did 12 step recovery. I did, uh, I went into therapy. I started doing medicine journeys. I went to India. Um, it was a, a life reckoning of like, damn, what am I up to here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like all of the ways that I, the, the big dreams I have, the ways that I sabotage myself and, um, you know, what, a, what's, what's here to heal because it's not going the way I want it to. And I'm miserable most of the time and I'm paralyzed. Like there was a point at which I was just kind of paralyzed. Like I couldn't, I, all of, all of the like critical voices and the bitterness and everything sort of like uh, congealed <laughs> into me not really being able to like break through to another level of success or to really mm -hmm. enjoy it. So I had to really examine what I was up to. Wow. Um, and also I just, I would constantly like, I also wanted to be a filmmaker. So I was like trying to make movies too. And then also had like all these plan B's, like I was working for my dad and I was editing TV news <laughs> um, uh, as a, like a video editor and, you know, as a sort of like my backup. Um, and I was like, a marketing assistant director, like uh, all of these different, like, and then I started coaching. I like became a, um, this was a little later, but like, um, you know, what making films, I wrote books. I started a circus. Um, oh my was, God. I was like a, another project. <laughs> we toured a circus around the country. Um, it was called the latest show on earth. And, um, Great name. <laughs> like a triple entendre. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, like I had a lot of fun and I was kind of 
into sort of various scenes in San Francisco and enjoying like the, you know, you couldn't walk anywhere. You probably know this, like you couldn't walk anywhere down the street without running into people you knew or people who had seen you on stage or like, you know, it's just, there was a lot of connection and community. And then I Mm -hmm. had this big shift and had to like, kind of come out as like a spiritual person, you know, or come out as a person who was like interested in some deeper shit. And can I swear? Is that allowed? Please. Encouraged. Um, (laughs) The title's lit as fuck. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was like really uncomfortable because, you know, so much of comedy is cynicism and layers Mm -hmm. and layers of cynicism and not taking things seriously, but in a way that like kind of is protective, self-protective. And to say like, I love, and I, and you know, like we're alive and things are beautiful is like, you know, ripe for making, being made fun of. And it's sort of like, well, what are you like, what's your problem? Um, So there were sort of these, like, there was this like comedian, external comedian throng, you know, that I kind of like saw all these people as like would think that I was not cool and not funny and um it was really oppressive I super internalized it it was just Mm. like hard for me to just be myself so I kind of had to quit doing that scene I had to quit doing the stand-up scene and just started writing my own show um and writing about how I got where I was and what, where I was and what I want. And, um, and so I wrote this show about my dream of being a famous comedian and everything that gets in my way, all of the ways that I sabotage myself. And I hired, uh, so this is like become sort of an epic myth in my mind. Now this moment at my, in my life where I had a sponsor in 12 step groups. Um, I had a best friend. I had a director. I hired a director. I had a therapist. I hired a coach. Um, and I feel, and I had a comedy mentor too. Um, uh, Kamau Bell at the time was like, I was hanging out and, you know, we'd been friends for a long time, kind of just alongside each other in the scene and then one day like you know started kind of just getting together and he just was like I think I get what you're trying to do you know if you if you need help like let's get together sometime and so I would like buy him coffee every week and we would just like get into it around comedy and he was so supportive and amazing and anyway so a little after that so I had like this whole I I basically surrounded myself with a team of people to like help me for the first time in my life, actually not just sort of coast through and just sort of assume like I'll kind of wing it and be okay. Um, but like give it something my all for the first time ever, wow. you know, like to really actually do my best. And um, so I, I wrote this show uh, called the punchline and I, um, And I did it in the San Francisco Fringe and I won best female solo and I won best of the fringe. Wow. And it was just the launch of a whole new world. And I really gave myself space and I gave myself enough support to, to shift the game and shift my way of being on stage. And from there, like, just everything kind of exploded and shifted. And, you know, I just, I didn't have to play by the rules and my own internalized rules of what it is to be a comic and such a relief. Wow. I just got chills. That's amazing. That's not, that's not easy, but you did it. Yeah. And, and I you had, had a, a team, <laughs> I had a you team. Had a, but you hired the team. That's the important thing. <laughs> did so many amazing people there are so many amazing people who are here to support us and help us and who have walked the path before and even though I was like creating my own version you know I kind of plucked okay I want this person for this thing and this person and maybe if they all like surround me and circle me really tightly (laughs) 
somehow I will stay on the path long enough to like have a little success and to do a thing. Yeah. Uh, amazing. That is amazing. On stage, you know, for the first time in a long time. I mean, to be yourself on stage, or at least to be talking about things that are deeply interesting and personal to you is so freeing. So freeing. Yeah. Wow. So you yeah. say you're for self-free. I love that. Um, okay. So let's go back. Cause I feel like this is tied in. Um, tell us about your wellness journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like many people, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, um, full of love and just the love was wounded. And, um, I I'm super grateful to my parents for already having taken, um, like a lot of steps along the path, but you know, you can't help, but unconsciously pass things along. And there's nothing like really big or terrible that happened. And so for a long time, I was really confused about why I was having such a hard time. Like it was, it just was like, well, you know, there was kind of this constant feeling of like, I should be doing better. I should be happier. And I don't, and there's nothing really to point at that, that's, I was just talking about this with a client last night about, you know, self-love and trauma. And basically like I had a lot of tiny traumas, like constantly, (laughs) a lot of really small traumas. And that's like the hardest, I think, Um, because it's sort of invisible. Um, And so I really needed to acknowledge like that there were a lot of hard things in my life and that, you know, and not to compare myself with, well, this person had this terrible thing happen to them. And so, you know, I should be fine. Um, And just like start to do the inner work of loving all the parts of myself Mm. Um, and start to like kind of undo the damages of, you know, I was in recovery. I did a lot of 12 step work and just like having a sponsor and doing like doing the steps and like um, cultivating a connection with something bigger than me, with nature, with my trust, my basic sense of trust in the world. And remembering that every time I get triggered, it's not because I didn't do the work or I haven't done it right, but because it's really deep and it takes a long time to get to where I'm going. Um, and I'm, you know, still in the journey of that. So yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there a specific thing that you want to know about? I I feel like. Yeah, um, that was, that's beautiful. It reminds me, I have, um, I'm in basically an AA program for feelings. <laughs> it's not AA. I am currently sober, but it's not AA. Um, but instead of like, you know, processing our addictions, we're processing kind of our trauma and our feelings. And there's someone in the group that's like, I, you know, I have all this trauma and yet I've processed so much of it and I don't understand like why like why I can't move forward. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's not even that trauma. Like reading Glennon Doyle's book Untamed, it's like, it could be anything. It could be the fact that like you used to be adored as a child. And then all of a sudden as a teenager, people just stopped adoring you. Like it could be, you know what I mean? It's just anything. anything. (laughs) It's rough to just not be a kid anymore. Yes. You know? Yes. I always want to write a joke. Like, I mean, I know it's kind of like maybe a bit ridiculous, but there, there was this, like, as you, when you're a kid, it's like, you know, you tie your shoes and people are like, Oh my God, you tied your shoes. That's so amazing. I'm so happy for you. And, you know, now I tie my shoes and it's like, hurry up. Like, what, <laughs> why did you, why are you tripping on your shoelaces? Like that you don't, you know, you don't, we need to kind of, there's, there's a way in which getting trained to be validated, like, has you miss it. hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree. I totally agree. Well, so I was, okay. So you sign up for AA, I'm assuming, I don't know if you're still sober, but assuming at the time you're, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Actually, I, actually, I went to sex and love addicts anonymous. Um, 
my first program was Overeaters Anonymous, and I dropped out of that because I just didn't. I needed it, but I did not click with it. And mm. so, you know, it was like high school when I was like recognized that I would eventually. I was like, I am. I have this disease. I will eventually need to go to a program, and I'm in fucking high school right now, and mm. I don't. And my life is going to be really boring if I go straight from high school into some 12 step program. So I need to go out and have some adventures and have some fun and just see which program I'm going to end up in. Love so, that. You were shopping around. I was like, you know, which one is, which one is going to be the one that really touches me. And so I hit a bottom at Burning Man. Um, yeah. I was like 26 and I finished my circus tour and um, I went into SLA and it was really amazing. Um, I really deeply rekindled my connections with women uh, and strengthened my, um, just the sisterhood aspect because there was so much trying to get validation from men and from outside that just like I basically ignored women and I did, I just kind of saw them as like in the way of what I needed. Um, <laughs> Just like I literally wouldn't remember their names or that they were there. I just like <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, no. were you talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who? What? There's a, a you? What? Um so yeah, I just like there was a lot of healing, a lot of deep like creating friendships with men, um, like understanding what the point of that was and and just being able to like be a human with another person and um and that was incredibly valuable and important to really just everything. Mm. I, uh, and then therapy and medicine work was a deeper layer. Wow. Um, and kind of just delving more fully into the the awe and the beauty of being in a human body and the kind of just what the fuckness of it all just like <laughs> what is this what are we doing in these things and like there's like we like have appointments and we get in cars and we go and then we like die and we go to sleep and we wake up and like it's all just like how is this even happening like what is this and it's so beautiful. And it's just like, it's just, and then all of this like life force is just constantly flowing through us. And it's, it's almost too much. In fact, it's usually too much to take. And so like, of course we would layer on all of these protections to keep us from the awe and the majesty of whatever the fuck absurd thing is going on as in a material world. <laughs> yeah. Well put. This this meat suit is it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's too, it's it's so it's so much. It's so, it's much. so much. It's so much. It's so a friend much. and I say to each other all the time, we're like, we hope this is our last life, like if we're past lives. Like really hope this one's it because this is exhausting. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Uh, I had to, I didn't want it to be my last life I because I was like I like this like it was like this is really cool all of these things are so interesting and so, you know like but I don't want to never eat ice cream again I don't want to like it's you know like it could be boring to just be like a blob of light or something um could be but I had this affair with a, a French guy in India who who kind of just was like, who just gave me a talking to. And he was just like, look, you know, Alicia, uh, the, you are you are not to, to be uh, coming back again and again. This this, uh, this movie uh, that you are watching, it's, uh, you know, it's tired. You know, it, it's time for this to be last life. <laughs> just finish this is it, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. Finally, he convinced me over a period of days. I was like, okay, last life. Last, last life. life. Thank you. <laughs> How did he know? How did he know? He, 
How, how, what else is there? I mean, <laughs> what do you mean? How did he know? <laughs> he knew it was going to be your last life. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. I, it's, we're, you know, but Buddha, he, you can choose once you, once you're awake, you can choose to come back instead of coming back by accident. Mm. So it can be your last life of accidental, you know, accidental uh, sort of like, whoa, I, don't put me here. I, I guess I have to learn more. Okay, here I am. <laughs> I'm not done yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be done. <laughs> but you're right. Ice cream does make it a lot. It, it makes it worth it for sure. For it's, sure. That's helpful for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, chocolate. Okay. <laughs> chocolate specifically. <laughs> oh, oh no, go. I mean, and also chocolate. And like, also chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Two, when, and then when the two together makes me so happy. <laughs> um, okay, so I just watched your comedy special, How to Dress for the Apocalypse. You recorded this in 2019. Is that correct? I recorded it in February of 2020. Whoa. February 7th. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This uh, that's interesting. So, I'm so curious looking back, how how do you think that this um current climate is like how does it read in the current climate? I honestly have no idea. <laughs> um <laughs> at the time it was so edgy for me to talk about kind of apocalyptic ideas. It was really edgy to just be like, Hey, you guys, um, we should like plan and think about what we want to do for the future. Um, it felt sort of like, I don't know if I should do this to people. Um, and then, you know, only um, a few weeks later, it was like, Oh, it's kind of tame. You know, I feel like, like looking back, like if you watched it now, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course. The world kind is ending. Tame. Like, yeah, world is ending. No big deal. Never um, uh, I mean, in my estimation, like the, the pandemic is really just kind of one of many possible, you know, we're so out of balance and we're so disconnected. We're so alienated from the planet, from like, planting food and from eating things that we cook and like it's just that there's so many levels of removal from just just daily existence that I think things are very out of balance um you know electricity internet everything we're so dependent on all of these systems to work kind of flawlessly and they're not flawless even with no pandemic even with no crisis and so i just think this is one of many possible or many future challenges not even considering you know just the climate crisis in general that like this is like a test run this is like mm-hmm. all right you know, let's see how you can handle this. A little stress. Let's just amp it up. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think if we can, if we can navigate this with, which I have not at all, um, with ease and peace, um, I mean, I've certainly been, I don't know. I think the election has been more stressful to me than, (laughs) than the pandemic in a way, but, Mm. um, you know, if we can navigate this, in a gentle way where we kind of stay grounded and peaceful and relaxed and remember to that this is an opportunity for deeper connection with ourselves and with the earth and with each other like that that would be a good way for us to handle this yeah i love that and let it be a test run and and to just say wow how lucky we are to be alive in bodies and how can, you know, and I also think, you know, like, um, it's been a reckoning for white people who just kind of take everything for granted as like, things aren't that bad. And so I can kind of ignore everything. 
mm-hmm. um, where people of color have been living with like just you know kind of a constant level of trauma and and adversity just in every interaction with people all the time everywhere and fi- and and find an inner resilience most of the time to like to find like things to be happy about ways to stay connected with themselves like just way way more resilience and i think it's kind of a wake up call too for just people of privilege to be like and including me for sure um to remember that to to find like walk that line of how do i not ignore what's happening how do i be doing something good for society and and for my fellow brothers and sisters and also not take like the opportunity to just um be sad and upset all the time because other people are having a hard time you know like how, how do i allow myself to be in a great mood no matter what's happening and be doing good work and not kind of fall into those traps um which it's really easy to do which and i do all the time cuz i <laughs> just the other day someone was like you know <laughs> he's canadian so i think he can't really get it but he was like you know i think if you it, i think a great practice for you would just be to like just be happy regardless of how the election turns out and just like kind of you know like just let it be fine either way <laughs> and i just kind of wanted to punch him cuz i i just get this sense of like you fucking privileged dude who like has who has no idea what this what the impact is on so many people and then i was looking at myself thinking like what my sadness is going to make somebody else feel better like me being upset and in a bad mood all the time about about political stuff is actually going to improve someone else's life probably not probably not so we both had some there were good points on both sides I love that. He he has no idea. <laughs> no idea. It was just like I I I it was I, everything in me was like ah and I just kind of smiled and went hmm, I hear you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. So how have you been um getting through the election. I'm so curious. Um, how have I been getting, I just, I kind of like watch CNN all the time. Um, I'm just sort of in the, I, I just kind of creep up into my head and, um, and then I complain and then I kind of, um, pretend that like, it's like, I always, I feel like, you know, when you're so in a, in Bali, like, the traffic is a little crazy. It's not as crazy as maybe India or some other places. Um, but when you are in a car and there there's somebody passing on the other side and they're like coming straight at, it's like a big truck that's coming right at you. And you're like, wow, are we all going to make it out of this? <laughs> and, and, you know, sure enough, somehow the truck pulls back into its own lane and you, you know, you get around the motorcycle. So you pull back into your own lane and, you're, you know, a passenger in the seat. And like, when I first started riding in cars like this, I would just like was losing my shit. I would just like be a, you know, I would get out of the car like, oh my God, we almost died like 14 times. It's just like, oh yeah, it's another Tuesday. (laughs) Like, Like, whoa. So, and so like, I just started to learn to like not, you know, because I'm a bit of a backseat driver. And like, I think like, if I can monitor like everything that's happening, like I can kind of bring the level of consciousness up of like, oh, if I see that car, then probably they see that car. And like, even if I don't say anything, I'm sort of like monitoring and making sure that we're, we're safe. 
And, but it just, it was so much intensity for me to do that, that I finally realized, oh, just don't pay attention to the traffic anymore. Just talk with your driver, shut up when there's a big, scary thing happening, and then go back to talking with like shooting the shit. And um, I think that's probably how you should do the election. It's like not be like, oh my God, do you see that? You see that truck, right? Do you see the truck? Because the truck is coming right at us. And then sure enough, the truck pulls around. And it was totally fine the whole time. <laughs> yeah, totally fine the whole time. Shoot the shit with your president and yeah, you know, it's going to be fine. Cool. Yeah. Be fine. This was the first year that I did not watch. Well, I don't have cable television, so I don't even know how I would have watched the live, like up to date uh, happening yeah. of the election. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how I would have done yeah. that. I'm sure, I could have figured out if I wanted to. But this was the first year that I didn't watch it, and I have to say, it was the best choice I've ever made. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and then three days later, when they finally announced it, I was like, I did not waste that one night on the couch when nothing would have been decided. You didn't waste a week, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I was at a retreat all week, but I was like, you know, every break, I'm pulling my phone out and checking CNN. A friend of mine actually booked um, a cabin in the woods with her boyfriend and they just, they had no Wi-Fi, no running wow. water. And she booked that for the span of like the election night and two days after. Genius. So she was, yeah, she, she knew what she was doing. Wow. <laughs> but that's the thing. I'm like, I don't know if I could handle like getting back to civilization and finding out all in like all in one swoop. Like that's. Also a little traumatizing, like every update a little bit, you know, here and then it's okay. Just a little, <laughs> just a little. I'm just going to like dabble in there. <laughs> just going to, just going to pop in. Yeah. I'm not totally crazy guys. Pop in, I'm pop popping out. in. <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to pretend it's not even happening. I just exactly. even exactly. hear that update. I just, yeah. I'm just like enjoying, you know, yeah. the, the view here. It's so chill. Yeah. That's the chillest thing. <laughs> type, type. <laughs> yeah, pop in. Are we popping in? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I feel like with the setting of Bali, this is like the perfect like place to be answering this question. But what do you think the role actually I want to know what do you think the role of comedy is in wellness? And then what is the role of wellness in comedy? Because I think there's mm, I think such a good question. Um, what is the role of comedy in wellness? Well, um, so about 10 years ago I was in my kind of reevaluation period, I was like realizing I don't actually laugh at comedy anymore. And it's not very fun for me to watch because I'm just jealous that like, oh, that person got that said and that person wrote that joke. And so when I was in India, I um, heard about this thing called laughter yoga. Mm. And I decided to become a laughter yoga teacher. And all of my... I went to this certification workshop and learned all about it. And um, all of my cynicism just rose all the way to the surface. And I was just like, this is so fucking dumb. Like, <laughs> like we're go we're like in kindergarten. <laughs> and it was just like so fake and so terrible. And then there was a moment where I realized I just started crying. I like had tears coming down. I was like, oh. Um, laughter is about innocence mm. and, and being childlike and being playful and silly and foolish. And that's the whole point. Mm. And my kind of judging cynical space of like being an adult, um, thinking I'm so advanced and mature is holding me back from like the open hearted, joyous laughter that I came to comedy for. And, um, so I let go and I started enjoying it and wow. I do my own version of it now, which is like a little less forcing the laughter and more breath work and more sounding, making noise, whatever you're feeling, like just encouraging sound to come through. And then eventually over time, like encouraging that to start to become laughter and the laughter is actually in, I mean, I'm sure you and your guests have all heard the amazing benefits phys physiologically of laughter, emotionally, um, like 
you're increasing oxygen to the brain, you're getting a workout, you um, increase your tolerance to pain physically. And, and I believe because of that, you increase your tolerance to emotional pain. Mm. Um, and so laughter, like I heard this and I hope it's true in the five seconds after we laugh, our brains return to the neuroplasticity that we had when we were five years old. So I really believe like when we combine laughter with insight and with humor and we bring our trauma in, in a way that we can like reflect and hold the space for it, that the laughter actually unlocks and shakes up the old, um, well-worn pathways and opens up new synapses and opens and fires in new places in our brain. And then like pumps in endorphins and, and can change the structure of our brain. If we are laughing either for no reason or at something that was painful, or we are able to like, listen to a different perspective, um, that it, it opens us. Um, and it, I mean, if you've laughed, I don't know if you've ever, it's, it's the same as sex or exercise. It's like, if you have an amazing, like, laughter workout catharsis like you you are reborn i yeah. mean it's 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 deeply impactful for our health and i think it radically changes like our chemistry and our bodies i i i think the levels of oxygen that come in are alkalizing to the body and we know what that does i mean like less crap grows in your body i mean it, we could go on forever it's amazing laughter is so good for you yeah i love that i love that i've had this similar experience with laughter yoga not the training but just being like this is so freaking cheesy so dumb. <laughs> and then also and then can you laugh at that yeah yep yeah yeah can you laugh at the teacher themselves and you just okay i'm Maybe I'm laughing at you, but I'm not going to tell you that. And then I'm getting benefit here. <laughs> it's working, <laughs> but for different reasons. Wow. That is really, thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful, beautiful to hear. And I love the idea of the neuroplasticity. I'm like, uh, when I'm learning something, if it's taught to me in a way that is engaging, but then also has a little bit of comedy in it, I tend to learn like way, way faster. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you, any speaker now, it's not even just like, um, about a bonus, but it's a requirement really Mm -hmm. to be funny, to make a living as a speaker at this point. I mean, the, the comedy, um, comedy is the thing that like wakes people up when they're, when they're learning. And if you don't, and you don't have to be that funny, which is yeah. great. Like you don't have to be as funny as a comic. You don't Bar's have to <laughs> Bar is really low. So <laughs> that's kind of magical. Um, <laughs> just, you know, be present and find what's, what's funny here now. What's even just slightly humorous. I love that. I love that. So flip side of the question, unless you think you already answered this, what do you think the role of wellness is in comedy? Um, I think it's, I think it's happening over time. Uh, you know, when I started comedy and I'm sure like even before then, you know, it was more intense, but just lots and lots of alcoholism, drug abuse, sex addiction, um, just depression, um, isolation, loneliness, pain, (laughs) Um, cynicism, a lot of, you know, kind of the shadow of finding humor in things that are, you know, we look at what's dark and sometimes we stay there and sometimes we don't even, you know, and it's not cool or funny to, to look at the bright side of things or to, to have them live together. Um, And I think more and more and more comics are starting to wake up to how painful it is to live in that all the time. And that to, to start to see that we can, and as well, like, you know, um, 
misogyny and racism and homophobia and all of the like things that comics leaned on as kind of the pillars of what was funny and how to, you know, what, what is fine to make fun of. And the, and that is also violent and and painful. Um, And I think just, uh, I do have a value of, freedom of speech and freedom of expression that people should be able to say whatever they want. I just also think we should not have to, you know, hire those people or listen to them. There's a giant wasp. Oh, I can <laughs> see it. That's how big it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like the ghost of some old comic right now. Like, like what did yeah. you just say? Uh, I love telling the dick jokes and the, the whore jokes. Get out of here. I'm trying to be happy and good. You're going to stop making everything funny. Make comedy great again. Oh, God. That's exactly what it feels like to me, honestly. It's like, the Trump supporters that are um, that are just rampant in this country. It feels like when I'm watching an old dude on stage clinging to those jokes, or sometimes even clinging, a young white clinging. man. I just yes. watched the yeah. Bill Burr SNL opener, then followed by Dave Chappelle opener, and there were Dave s- Chappelle. Yeah, both oh, of them. Oh, so misogynist! It was like it was like. What you you get to be so progressive and so advanced in so many ways, and still you have to like call women a oh that bitch like yeah like why I don't it it was to me it like, was like why the is laziest. that still okay yeah it's so it's like so lazy it's so lazy and at the same time I I also want. It's like I want them to be able to say that I just don't want to have to like it, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't think we have to just, I don't want a front of like, these are things that are allowed and things are not allowed because the whole point of comedy to me is transgression and subversiveness. Mm. And what I really believe is that like, when people, you know, when we are, when we believe we're the underdog, we um, are, we punch up and then that's what's funny. And I think there's a way in which, you know, men still feel like they're the underdog and that's not my perception, but they think they're punching up and Mm. they're actually not. And that's (laughs) where it hurts. Um, And I don't, I just don't believe that we should like tell everybody what's allowed and what's not allowed and, and, make the sphere of what, you know, because that's not comedy, that's fascism. And at the same time, it hurts me. I feel fucking pissed. And like, what, like all of the, like, where do you get off still being an asshole like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. What I mean, do you get it? I don't know why, why they do it. I don't, it, it just felt so tired to me. It's like, <laughs> like this isn't the eighties anymore. It's not the nineties anymore. It is fucking yeah. 2020. And I'm sorry, but you're going to have to put some effort into your jokes. And I saw both of them take it out on the audience. Like even Dave Chappelle was like, Whoa, is this like a woke convention? And I was like, damn, I was so proud of the audience in that moment that he had wow, to call I should them re-watch that. It made me like so happy. Cause like, Come on, this is Saturday Night Live. This isn't like some late night talk show. This is a like <laughs> well, and people pull. keep telling me, like, oh my God, did you see Dave Chappelle's new special? And like, you know, and he has another one every month. And like, and I'm like, no, I just can't watch it. Like, I want, I want to because I think he's really oh, good, too. but it's just yeah. like, why do I have to? Like, yeah. why do I have to think that's funny? Yeah. Cause I don't, yeah. cause it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I, agree. Like, I agree. And that's why I stopped, you know, going to the clubs and like doing that thing. Cause it just, it didn't, it didn't have me feel like I could be fully self-expressed. Mm. As an audience member, I feel like 
I have walked out of several comedy shows angry and it's taken me more than 24 hours to recover from them. And that's not a feeling that I want to pay money to experience, you know? So it's like, I, I understand it's to me, it's like the comedy scene, like it should be more inclusive. Like SNL should be having more comedians that are not having digs at like certain genders or certain races. Cause there's so much more to comedy than just that. Well, and I also think that like you can do it in a meta way where, I mean, uh, I know he's not beloved anymore uh, by many people, but I feel like Louis CK always put a frame around his opinions and his ideas. And he always would say something like, God, I feel like a terrible person for saying this. And I don't want to think this, but blah, 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 racist, sexist, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And I think like, that's another level. And I appreciated Mm. that. And I really actually thought he was a fantastic comic because of that, because we want to be able to talk about what is underneath. That's what comedy is for. But we have to do it in a way where we're actually acknowledging like, this is the shadow rather than just saying, this is me. Right. Right. Take it or leave it or just take it. (laughs) Just take it. Just take it. it. And and then, yeah, deal with my abuse. (laughs) It's too much. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm so curious. So I know that you are also a storytelling coach or you're coaching, you're doing a coaching program. So I'm curious, um, how do you help people like reframe past stories into new Mm kind of events, jokes, whatever it may be. Yeah. So over the past six years, I started doing this workshop called Solo Showdown. And it's an experience of helping people who have either never been on stage, or maybe they've been on stage and they've just done comedy, or maybe they've just done serious things to tell some version, usually some version of their life story. It's not always that, but, um, but really to just find a story that feels important. And I never actually say like, you're going to take your story and change it. <laughs> it's basically just like get on stage, yeah. you know, and do some comedy or like tell a story. And it almost inevitably goes to the place of finding a healing um, finding a healing resolution. And, and it's a, it's a kind of complex process, but essentially people tell what's on their mind. Um, I have an extremely supportive cocoon. I have a lot of like ways where we hold the space where we basically only share appreciations, um, Mm. especially in the beginning. So the people just have the, the space to express. They're not trying to be good. They're not trying to be important. They're not trying to be funny. Like just be you. And the kind of mm, heat-seeking missile of truth always goes to that thing, usually, of, of what is most alive for them, what is most wanting healing. And they end up telling their story around some wound that is, that's still alive for them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully has passed a little time, because if it's super alive, then it's a little too hot. But you they go into it and when they tell it again and again and again, and when we reframe it um, such that the ending has an, there's a new ending. um, That's really the key. So it's the repetition plus the sharing of the new ending. And then they, there's a moment where when they're memorizing, I force people to memorize their pieces Mm. word for word. And I'm really, I'm like very strict about it um, because winging it. It's like, you're not going to hit all the notes. Mm. You're going to miss some really important things and you're not going to be able to relax fully into it. And you're just going to do that thing where you just like kind of skate by in your life and you never really experience what it could be like to fully give your all to something and to truly soar with it. So people memorize it. And then there's a moment when you have memorized and told your story so many times before you've performed it, that you get so sick of your story and you're like, I hate this. I hate that person that did that thing. And you don't want to even think about it again. Like one more time, you're just, and and yet it still has a, you know, you, you find an ending that, that is transformative. Um, 
So they tell it, tell it, tell it. They're so sick of it. And then they get on stage and they are kind of like distanced and attached from it. And they're kind of holding it apart from themselves, but they know it so well. And they've got all the notes just perfectly timed and all the words right there. And they're able to breathe and relax into it and kind of forget about the words altogether. And they perform it in front of a giant audience of friends and family and people who care about them. And they're witnessed in the new experience of how they're holding this story sort of detached mm. and lightly and they're bringing humor to it and they have a new ending and, and they're seen as it's literally they're embodying a new reality and they're, they get to experience themselves being totally loved for this dark shadowy thing that they feel terrible about. They get laughter, they get applause, they get tears and they get to like live into a new, a new narrative. Mm. So super amazing and transformative. And I love leading it. I love that. I love the idea of being so detached from a story that that is almost what, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say this, but like that maybe fuels kind of this amazing like rebirth of like being so detached that they don't even care how the audience reacts or like they don't even care how they were reacting anymore. That's so awesome. It's really fun to watch. I just feel like it kind of, it happens through me and I am the steward of this process and I love it. That's so cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Uh, Okay. So my last question for you is, I'm just so curious, what's your current self-care routine? Mm. Um. So what is my current self-care routine? <laughs> Go to uh, Bali. It's really Check. nice, like <laughs> olive oil. It's like uh, ozonated olive oil I like putting on my face. Um, I, uh, I wake up. I uh, check my phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> so relaxing. <laughs> really deep. Um no, like my, um, I, I've had a lot of meditation practices over the years. And at this very moment, um, I, I'm not waking up and meditating. Mm. Um, I have an energetic practice that I do, like a, a running energy practice that I do sometimes. Um, I have a, I did a Vipassana practice for many years. Um I, what do I do now? Um, I went for a walk this morning um, and I put on some music and I walked along the road. Amazing. Just like said hello to Balinese people and said good morning. And um, yeah, like I've done yoga for many years. I'm not doing that right now. It's just sort of, it's kind of like very dependent on my location. And right now I kind of like wake up, look at the rice paddies, watch the ducks um, pecking for insects, um, put on some music and uh, yeah, it's kind of. What a life. You don't need anything more than that. You got it. (laughs) That view alone, it's like, it's doing your meditation for you really. It definitely is. I mean, I'm, I'm in such a kind of constant inquiry that like moment to moment there's there's no moment when I'm not like "Hmm, how am I doing like what's you know (laughs) what's happening in my body what's happening in my you know um you're you're in touch there's a lot yeah I do have a water practice now I'm drinking a lot of water oh nice that's awesome drink three three liters of water per day that's a lot. I find that it- I didn't make it. I started yesterday. I made it to like two ish, two and a half yesterday. Okay. Maybe that's proof. That's really good. It's solid. Yeah. I started to do it and I have to pee all the damn time. It's like, I already have to pee all the damn time. Mm-hmm. So like, how do I even manage this? Like I have a, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out when the cutoff is when I have to stop drinking the water. Like, is it noon? Is it two? <laughs> So that like, I don't stay up all night peeing. Oh yeah. Oof. That is tough. You know, Cause that's rough. That's <laughs> it a... is. It's not fair. 
It's so not fair. There oh needs to God. be a solution to this. I don't I don't understand how they built bodies to make them have to pee all the time, especially the time. female bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just tell you to drink more water. It's too much. Like what? Yeah. I went to the doctor. She was like, well, you just have to start like, you know, timing your pee. So just like, just like, don't first pee every 15 minutes and then pee every 30 minutes and then pee every hour. And I was like, I have to stop myself from pee. I have to like actually (laughs) hold it. And I just felt like, it's like puppy training. Yeah. But it just felt like torture. Like why? I don't want to. No, just sit and not pee. No, I my rule is my rule right. is to pee when I have to pee when you gotta pee. Yeah, when you gotta go, <laughs> go, go when you gotta go. Right? Oh, again, this meat suit, this meat sack is just it's yeah, it's so a much upkeep. It's a lot. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Um, yeah, I've been leading an embodied writing workshop that I am loving. And so if anyone would like to join the experience of a a weekly, um, movement practice, weekly guided channeled writing practice and sharing writing together at the end, um, that's my, one of my new passions in, in what I'm offering. So, um, yeah, I hope. I hope some people come and play with me. Amazing. How can we um, find you, follow you, whatever, whatever channels mm. you're into? Yeah. AliciaDatner.com. Two T's in Datner. Uh, at this moment, you can still get my new special for free, but it's going to go away soon. Um, no. Yeah. You heard it here first. It's going to be in a festival. It. Oh, that's exciting. And um, yeah. And uh, find me on the Facebook. I, I'm not as much on Instagram, but I'm, you know, you know, trying <laughs> so many channels. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> it is exhausting. Just stick with the website. Well, I will link it yeah. all. I'll link it all below. I highly recommend giving Alicia at least a follow on Facebook. Um, and definitely Please. checking out her comedy special, How to Dress for the Apocalypse. It is seriously spot on. And it's so fun to watch a comic on stage that is into wellness and spirituality and respects women. It was just, it was a delight to watch. Thank you. Yeah. Such a delight, Sarah. Thanks for, um, thanks for having me. This is so fun. Yeah. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. In the meantime, check out sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com. <laughs>